Welcome to another Resetology podcast where we talk about changing from the inside out. Today's episode is taken from our recent Reset Retreat. The message is from our session called Exposing Shame. If you're interested in the books referred to in the message, please take a look at the show notes. Also, if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so we can share these messages with a larger audience. We appreciate your support and thanks for listening. We were laughing so hard last week. Amber, who she does all of our social media and all the slides and all that stuff. We have this link that has folders for every session in it, you know, so it says like forgiveness, soul ties, shame. And I was firing off all these emails because this session we do a bunch of announcements. And so I didn't realize, but I kept sending her emails saying, stick this in the shame folder. And I'd send her, stick this in the shame folder, stick this in the shame folder. And she finally emails me back. She was like, okay, these emails are cracking me up. She's like, I have enough in my shame folder. And I'm like, me too. But I thought, you know, that's so what we do with shame. Like just stick it in the shame folder. Like just put it in there. Don't look at it. I don't want to talk about it. Just stick it in the shame folder. But what we're going to do in the session is we're going to open up the shame folder and we're going to take a look at what shame is and then kind of look at, at how it's been existing in our own life, whether we're aware of it or not, and then what to do with it. So I want to start with a definition. If you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, you know that she's kind of become the expert on shame. The way I understand her story is she didn't set out to be an expert on shame. She interviews people to hear their stories, and she was looking for what makes someone wholehearted. In our language, we would say what makes someone free. And so she's interviewing hundreds of people, and this topic kept popping up, shame, shame, shame. And so she realized that the people who have overcome shame live wholehearted lives. And so it led her to, like, well, what is shame? How do we put words around it? How do we define it? And she has a book called Gifts of Imperfection that I picked up about a month ago, and I just devoured that book. I thought it was so good. If this topic strikes a chord with you, I really recommend that book. Anyway, all that to say, I want to use her definition for shame because I feel like it's a really good one. She says that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And then another place in the book, she says, shame is basically the fear of being unworthy and unlovable. And those are the two words that I really want to focus on throughout this talk, unworthy and unlovable. And if you've been paying attention to the testimonies that we've heard throughout the weekend, those things, those words pop up, whether they're said exactly or not. The sentiment there was in every testimony this weekend. Because of what people went through, there was this deep feeling of being unworthy or of being unlovable. I want to differentiate shame from a couple other different emotions that we have. One is uh, embarrassment. I mean, shame's not the same thing as embarrassment. We've all been embarrassed before. And um, embarrassment is something that we can typically laugh about later, but it's totally different than shame. It's different than guilt. Guilt is actually a super helpful emotion because what guilt tells us is I did something bad and we want to be able to feel guilt. When we feel guilt, it helps us to repent to God. It helps us to repent to other people. So it's productive. It's a very healthy emotion, but it's not the same thing as shame. Shame is that sense of I am bad. Shame is that overwhelming feeling that washes over us and makes us feel small, defective, and never good enough. What I want to do in this session, because this isn't like, you know, we talk about shame and then, you know, in about 30 minutes, you're all going to be free from it. And that's just not how shame works. It might be that you're 
over shame, and maybe by the end of today, it's 15. Maybe it's 50%, but it's a process to get past shame. But what I want to do in this session is I want you to be able to identify when it's happening and when you're feeling that feeling washing over you. Because if we're honest, we all know that feeling. It's like a dark cloud is coming over us, and there's something in us that's like, I just wish a black hole would open up, and I could just fall into the earth because I feel so flawed and so small and so broken. So those are definitions of shame. And I wanted to, uh, this is from another book by the same author. I thought it was just me. This was so good, I just wanted to read right from the book because when she was researching people, she said, what's your definition of shame? And some people gave a definition, but then other people told a little chunk of their story. And I thought it would be helpful if I read some of these because I think it helps us begin to understand what shame is. Shame is that feeling in the pit of your stomach that is dark and hurts like hell. You can't talk about it and can't articulate how bad it feels because then everyone would know your dirty little secret. Shame is hating yourself and understanding why other people hate you too. Shame is my mom being hateful about my weight. Every time I go home to visit my husband and kids, the first thing she says is, my God, you're still fat. And the last thing she says when I walk out the door is, hopefully you can lose some weight. She's screwed me up so bad already, you'd think she'd be over it by now. But no, she just keeps going. Another person said, when I was in high school, my mom committed suicide. She hung herself in her bedroom in our house. The neighborhood constable found her. From that day forward, I was that girl whose mom hung herself. It was the worst imaginable thing in my life. It's funny because I think if my mom would have died of cancer or something else, people would have been more understanding. People wouldn't have been so cruel. But when it's suicide, it's completely different. My mother was the crazy lady who hung herself. So that means I must be crazy too. I even think some of my friend's parents were scared of me and my dad. That's shame. There's another one. When I was in middle school, my aunt's boyfriend molested me. I told my older sister and she told my parents. I don't remember exactly what they said, but they called me and my sister into the living room and told us that we shouldn't talk to anybody about it. My mom told me that she would deal with my aunt. I don't know what happened. I never saw him again. My aunt never said anything about it to me. My sister was enraged. She stayed mad at my parents for years. I just became a quiet person, ashamed and quiet. I want to read one more shame story that's in another book, and this is in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave some fruit from the tree, and then I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So let's talk a little bit about the fruit of shame. We can see right there in Genesis that the first fruit was fear of exposure. And isn't that how we feel when that feeling of shame washes over us? It's like something in us feels so exposed. 
And because we feel exposed, that leads to the next part, which is a disconnection. Did you hear what Adam said? He said, I, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. So his immediate response is to disconnect from God, and then they start to disconnect from one another through blaming, which is always the first response when we feel exposed, hiding and blame. And that never works. And so what we start to do is we cover up, just like Adam and Eve, start sewing fig leaves together. It's trying to fix ourselves apart from God, and it never works. And I think a word for that that we would use in our culture is it results in perfectionism. Because perfectionism really is, I'm trying to look on the outside a way that I don't feel on the inside. Healthy striving is, I want to be the best version of myself because I, I know I've got more in my tank. I know that I can grow more. I can get better at my gifts. But the focus is on me. I'm, just, I'm trying to improve. But perfectionism is not that. Perfectionism really is focused on other people. I want to present this version of myself that looks perfect, that writes perfect, that creates perfect. Anything that I put out into the world is perfect. My house looks perfect. My car looks perfect. And I'm not necessarily doing it for me. I'm doing it because I want your approval. I want your applause. I want your acceptance. Because if I can be perfect, what I'm really trying to do is minimize those feelings of shame that are on the inside. And the root of perfectionism, it's shame. It's that feeling that something in me is unworthy and is unlovable. And so I have to perform. I have to achieve. I have to work for it. All of these things move us away from our shame story. And our shame story actually needs to be told. Brene Brown said, shame needs three things to grow out of control in our life. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. When we keep shame hidden, it grows and festers. It consumes us. It's like a cancer. About 12 years ago, I had thyroid cancer. I was sick for, I didn't realize I was sick. I just thought I was super tired for like a year. And I got so run down, I finally went to the doctor and did the biopsy, diagnosed it. Now, it would have been so foolish of me to keep that a secret and not tell my family. It's like, oh, I'm just going to deal with this myself while there's cancer growing inside of my body. So I didn't. I, I did what the doctor said. I dealt with it. I'm fine. I've been cancer-free for 12 years. But shame is like that. It's a cancer that's inside of our soul. But if we keep it secret and we keep it silent and we don't tell anybody, it's like that shame is just eating away in our soul and it's killing us. It's a cancer to our soul. It grows in secrecy, silence, and judgment. When I say judgment, that's the fear of if I tell somebody, they're going to judge me. And here's how shame works. When we have a trigger, it's because there's a shame button inside of us. If you break a bone and you go to the doctor, they sit you up on the table, you put your leg out, they start poking at it. When they hit that spot where it's broken, everybody in the office knows. Because <laughs> you jerk, you yell, it hurts. They, they found the spot where the break is. And that's what happens to us as we move throughout life and interact with people. Somebody gives a certain glance, makes a certain comment, they, they hit that button without knowing it, that shame button, and a whole different version of you comes out. And it's what we talked about last night with defense mechanisms and, and uh, those comfort strategies. It's like this different version of you comes out, and it's like, whoa, who's this? Well, that's the person that's trying to cover up their feeling of unworthiness or being unlovable. And so we have to pay close attention to what our triggers are because our triggers are telling us that there's a wound that still needs to be healed. But behind that wound is this sense of shame. 
the more entrenched and reactive we are about an issue, the greater the sense of shame. When I was in college, I played college basketball a long time ago. It was NAIA basketball, so don't be too impressed. But anyway, we played this team in Oklahoma, and I'll never forget this. We, they were, I think they were ranked number one in the nation, and they had won national championship after national championship. And because they were so good, they had a big following, which is not real normal in women's basketball. But they would pack the gym out. And I remember going down there, and their team name was the Crimson Storm. And they would run out to this pre-recorded message of their announcer saying, national championships, or national champions, and I forget all the years, it was like 1988, 1989, 1991, 92, 93, 94, 95, and then he goes, are you kidding me? This is a dynasty. And then he had that storm warning, they had that buzzer, and it went, storm warning, a storm is approaching, you better run and hide. Storm warning, a storm is approaching. And then their fans would go crazy, and then they would run out, and start circling the court like vultures. You know, we're already out there warming up. And I just remember feeling like this big and so small and just thinking, I'm gonna die on the court today. <laughs> the storm has approached. And they were so big, they'd recruit these girls from other parts of the country. And it was so intimidating. But that is exactly how shame is. It's like something hits that shame button and something in our soul goes, ee, 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 storm warning, the shame storm is approaching. You better run and hide. Something in us like feels that dark cloud come over us. And we feel like anyone that's in the room can see the ugliest, worst thing that happened to us. That all that anyone can see when they're looking at us is that person is so unworthy. Like I don't, that person is so unlovable. And it's just the sickest, darkest feeling. Part of what I want you to take away from this session is just realizing that that feeling is shame. I want you to hear my voice in your head next time someone hits your shame button and you feel like coming over. I want you to hear my voice in your head going, ee, ee, ee. storm warning, a shame storm is approaching. Don't go run and hide. Because the way that we get free from shame is that we have to name it. We have to talk, we have to say that is shame. And when we know that it's shame, we have to bring it out into the light with somebody that we trust, and we have to talk about it because shame grows in secrecy, silence, and judgment. And when that storm washes over us, we get all these not good enough messages that go on inside of our head. And they sound like this. You're not filling the blank enough. You're not, you're not skinny enough. You're not rich enough. You're not smart enough. How about this one? You're not masculine enough. You're not feminine enough. You're not cool enough. Or nobody can find out about fill in the blank. You know, the worst thing that ever happened. You know, nobody can find out about that. Or who do you think you are putting yourself out into the world? Who do you think you are putting your thoughts out there? Your ideas out there? Your art out there? Who do you think you are? It's like this version of ourself that's outside of our head pointing at us, judging us, and telling us to play small and to go and hide. And then a lot of us, when that shame storm washes over us, we start to actually curse ourselves. And we may not even realize that we're doing it, but we start saying things like, you are so stupid. You are such an idiot. Or we may even say things like this, like, I hate myself. We may not say it out loud, but we have those voices running through our head. That's shame. When that feeling washes over us and those curses start coming to our head, 
It's shame. A lot of us talk to ourselves in a way that we would never in a million years talk to somebody else. We wouldn't talk to our worst enemy the way that we talk to ourselves. That's shame. We have to be honest about when and how we shut down. We've got to ask questions like this. Who do I become when a shame storm approaches? Am I like a volcano that erupts? All of a sudden it's swearing and anger. Like, whoa, where did that come from? It's shame. Do I go hide in a cave? It's shame. Turn into performer, turn into trying to achieve? That's shame. Little Miss Nasty come out? That's shame. And then how do I protect myself? And here's a good one. What are my physical shame symptoms? Do I get the sick feeling in the pit of my stomach? My heart start to race, a lump in my throat? armpits tingle. This is your body telling you something's going on inside of your soul. And then what's the setting? You need to pay attention to the characters, to the people involved, the context and the themes. It says a lot to us about the origin of our shame story. Is a certain personality, a certain person with a certain skin color, a certain socioeconomic background? Is it, who, who is it or what scenarios hit that shame button in us that triggers us? And then the last one is super important. Who do I call to talk about it? Because shame grows in secrecy, silence, and judgment. You remember the question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden? Where are you? And a lot of us hear that and what we hear is, dang it, where are you? Get over behind that tree. But that's not the tone that God's using. He's inviting them to come out. And then he has two follow-up questions. His next question is, who told you you were naked? And then he said, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? What he's inviting them to do is to tell their shame story. Because he knows they have three major problems. One is disconnection from him. That's the biggest one. But he also knows that they have guilt, which they should have because they sinned. He also knows that they have shame. You know, one of the things that we, we do with guilt and shame is we lump them together. And we say things like, we need our guilt and shame covered. And I don't know that that's entirely right. I believe our guilt needs covered. It needs covered by the blood of Jesus. God in the garden killed an animal, which meant blood was shed. He covered them with the animal skin, representing what Jesus would do. The blood was shed. But shame needs to be exposed. And when I say that, I don't mean exposed in front of the whole world, but it needs to be brought out into the light with God for sure. And it needs to be brought out into the light with somebody that you trust, that knows what to do with it. That when you tell your shame story, they're not going to avert their eyes. They're going to listen and they're going to give you empathy because shame grows in secrecy, silence, and judgment. I want you to imagine that... Shame is like a swamp, and you're standing on the edge of it, and you're being told today, well, the only way that you get through it is you have to name it, you have to talk about it, and the idea of doing that can be terrifying, especially depending on our story. And so we stand on the edge of the swamp, and then, but we see people on the other side, people like Sherry and Kathy and Mark and Elizabeth and David, and we're like, I want to be free. I want to be free from all these things that I've gone through. But what we're hearing them say is they talked about it. They confessed it. They brought it out into the light. And so we have to get to a point where we're standing on the edge of the swamp and we go, if 
Okay, standing here catastrophizing about how awful it would be to talk about this and bring this out into the light, that's actually way worse than standing here full of shame and wondering what it would be like to be free. And so we have to get enough bravery inside of us to say, okay, God, I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to trust you that you're not going to expose anything that's hurtful for me or harmful to me. I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to start walking through it and I'm going to take the hand of a person or a couple of people or a reset together group, people that I know are going to keep it in confidence and that I can trust, and I'm going to start walking through the swamp. I'm going to start telling my story. And here's the thing about shame is that it has to get worse before it gets better. Because as we start going through, it's like, ah, this is like getting up. Like I can smell it in my nostrils, and I don't want to look at it. But we have the hands of a God who loves us. And we have the hands of people that we can trust that are going to look us in the eye and hear our story. And they're going to, we're going to keep walking through it. We're going to keep walking through it. And pretty soon, it's down to our waist, and then it's down to our knees, and then we're on the other side of it. But it's not going to happen until we bring those feelings of being unlovable and unworthy, and we tell our story with people and to God that know what to do with it and know how to help us heal. And so I want to close out this session with... Khadidra is going to share, and we're going to kind of share together because we've been through this process together, and then we'll move into our reset moment. My shame story started actually before I was born. I was born into shame and rejection. When my mother became pregnant with me, my dad did not think that I was his, so he pushed my mom into a washer, hoping to terminate me. So before I was even born, there was a a shame upon me that was, I'm not wanted. So my mother and father were both addicts, lots of drug use and domestic violence, which led to my parents' divorce. And then my dad moved out to Arizona. When he left me, I'm like having these shame statements already coming in, like your dad left you. He doesn't want you. He doesn't care. He, he's leaving you with a mom who's on drugs. Like your dad doesn't, doesn't care about you. So as a small child, I agreed with that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I'm living with my mom and my sister. My mom's still using, always gone, never home. Because of that, um, we experienced, my sister and I, abuse from family members, sexual abuse from family members and physical abuse as well, and neglect as well. My, my mother left me and my sister in a trailer without food for three days. Another shame message comes, my mom doesn't love me either. Your mom's not here. Your mom left you too, just like your dad. And so, again, being a small child, like, I agreed with that because I'm like, well, yeah, my mom left me. My dad left me. Something's true about this. My grandma found us in the trailer and got custody of us. And then we moved to Arizona where my dad was. My dad was married to this new woman and um, they had a son. And honestly, it was a, it was a good, it was a good time. Like, um, they're only married for three years, but uh, it was the first time in three years, like my first time in my life that I felt like I could be a kid, you know, we're having Christmases, celebrating birthdays, and I'm just getting to be a kid. I don't have to worry and be afraid all the time, you know, so I, I just felt like I was a kid, and then they got divorced, and so now I'm hearing another same message, like, it's your fault that they got divorced. You weren't good enough. Your stepmom couldn't deal with you and your sister's behaviors. Everybody always leaves you, and this is, this is it. This is because of you, and again, you know, I'm probably like nine or 10 at this time. And I'm kind of like in agreement with this because I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. My mom left me. My dad left me. And now Lisa, like my stepmom, she's, she's gone too. So I'm like, okay, like it is something to do with me. 
So then in fifth grade, I discovered basketball, and I discovered that I was really good at basketball. And I got a lot of praise from uh, family and coaches, and it's like I, I found an identity within basketball, something that made me feel like I, I had worth and value. I found acceptance and purpose in it, and I played all throughout high school and college, and people liked me. People liked me because I played basketball, and I was good at it, and also I was funny. So I definitely like found my identity in that stuff. Um, and to be honest, I think I needed to find basketball because, again, it just allowed me to have that safe space to be a kid. So sports and stuff isn't bad. It's only bad when we, we let it take our identity away from us and we get lost in it. And that's exactly what happened with me. I got lost in it because I, I just felt like safe, you know, playing basketball. And so in college, I got kicked off my college team because I let anger and rage and all the stuff from the past kind of was you know, taking place in my life and I didn't really know like what it was or why I was so angry because all the stuff that happened then I just didn't deal with. I just blocked it out because again, I'm a kid and I didn't know what to do with it. So I just blocked it out. Just play basketball. I just forget about it. Didn't even happen. Just ignore it. So that's what I was doing. When I got kicked off the team, it was again, another message of shame that you don't deserve good things. And if you ever get them, they won't last. And again, it's like the same message of you're not enough, you're never going to be enough, and just all these things. And I just received it because I wasn't walking with God that time. at that time, didn't know him really. And nobody in my family was like really showing me how to not walk in shame. After I got kicked off the team in Phoenix College, I got a scholarship at Arizona Christian University. And I did not go there to get closer to God or anything. I came there to play basketball. You know, that was my main motivation to play basketball. And so when I went there, I was excited that I got a new opportunity to play. And I didn't play, though. Like, my coaches never played me uh, because they felt like they said that I didn't know the plays. And so, again, this is my identity. So now I'm like, well, I got to this school, and I'm not playing. So I became so frustrated. And then I had to face myself. I had to face all the years of ignoring my stuff because I didn't have my, my cover anymore, my basketball anymore. So now I'm just stuck with what, everything that basketball and being funny and all those things about myself that I thought were me, once those things were lifted, I had to face, I had to face myself. I had to face the shame. So then I started asking questions, and because I was just having this desire to want to be free, so I asked our team chaplain, I just started talking to him. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And he, he was just like, you know, I, I actually know somebody. Um, her name's Carissa. I think she'd be really good for you to talk to. And I was open to it because I'm, I'm now I'm on this journey of just figuring out who I am and figuring out how I can get past these struggles that I was having. So then I met with Carissa and we were meeting each other for a while and I never processed things like, like I said, I just kind of locked it up, never worried about it, never thought about it. But with Carissa, I was doing something new. I was doing something scary. I was talking about all these things, all the trauma with mom and dad and, and the sexual abuse and the things that the sexual abuse caused me to do, which was entering same-sex relationships and other sexual things. So I was completely broken and very uh, ashamed. I had a great shame. Like when I first met Carissa, like when I would talk to her, I could hardly look at her and I was hunched over because I felt like so ashamed. Like talking about shame being physical, it had me hunched over and I, I couldn't even look her in the eye because I felt so, so ashamed. We just talked about everything. I really didn't hold anything back because I was so tired of feeling the way that I was feeling and, 
and facing the things that I was facing that I just was like, I'm not going to hold anything back. So I had very honest conversations with Carissa. I told her the things that were done to me and the things that I'd done myself. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. And there were things that I did want to hold in. I did want to keep to myself because I was afraid that what if she does reject me? What if she doesn't accept me? What if she's judging me? What if she's critical of me? And that, that was a fear of mine. But I just took that chance and trusted God. Like, okay, God, I feel like you've led me this far. I feel like Carissa is a safe person. And, and that's key. It needs to be like a safe person who you know is like, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to hold it against you. And I knew in my heart, I knew I could trust Carissa with, with the ugliest, the most worst things I could ever say to her. I knew I could trust her. And so I did. And so that's when my freedom started. And like, uh, like Chris, Chris said earlier, it wasn't like, uh, I feel a thousand times better. Like it just took time. It takes years, you know, and I've been on this journey probably since 2018, I think, but I'm standing here today and, um, I'm not hunched up. I'm telling my story in front of a bunch of sh people I don't know. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a change, you know, so this is, this is proof that the process works because before I could never, I could never like hold my head and, and speak about some private things like so openly. It's God's grace and his love and his mercy that has allowed me to do the work. And, and the part of it was me, me saying, yes, okay, God, like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do this. Like, I don't know where this is going to get me. I don't know how, how this is going to work. I decided to trust him in the process and it's been extremely rewarding. I hope that you guys can Take from my story. I hope that it encourages you. It gives you hope. You're just able to trust God to, to help you get through it. And he'll, once you say yes, you give God your yes, he's going to take care of everything else. He's going to give you the people, support groups or whatever you need. Like God's not going to lead you halfway and then, you know, forget about you. Like he's going to pull you all the way through. Just say yes and, and, and just keep striving even when it's, it's difficult. Part of the reason I wanted to sit here is because I thought that was going to be a lot harder for you. That shows how much healing you've had. When she first started sharing her shame story, and I know you're okay, we've talked about this, but she called me one night in a panic attack, she, and we barely knew each other. She said, I need to come to your house, and she came over, and she was just shaking, and that was the first time when she started to share all the stuff that happened and from that day to this it's like a totally different person I wasn't asking her to share because I was involved I'm just asking her to share because that's the journey and that's the process that we have to go through and I just I wanted to share this part of my story before we end because many of us we hear a story like that and it breaks our heart but we can't relate to that because our story isn't that way but shame takes so many different forms what Khadidra didn't know when we met is I had just stepped away from ministry. And it was a really hurtful season for me. And so I was kind of put myself on a self-imposed sabbatical. And I got the call from the chaplain. He's like, will you work with this one girl? I'm like, hi. And he kept bugging me. And I'm like, okay. So we started this process. And this was before I went back to the Townsend Institute. I remember those conversations with her, and I felt like I don't know how to help her. And so part of my going back to school was I want to be able to help her and people like her where I feel stuck because I don't know how to, to pull them through. The first week, they make you go out to California, and you go through the process, and they teach, and then you go into process groups for an hour and a half. And there's eight process groups. 
and you're with six people you've never met before and a therapist and there's no agenda it's just whoever wants to talk talks and you start talking through things so I think it was the sixth session and the therapist sits down and she goes okay who hasn't said anything yet and everyone in the group points at me part of the reason was because I wanted to give space for things like this I've sat with people in really hard, dark places. And so what I had done was minimize my story. And I think there's probably people in here like that. You're resonating with what I'm saying. Like, I have that feeling that washes over me, but you've minimized your story. And so you don't even realize there's shame there. I started sharing with her, well, here's my story. I have great parents. I grew up in Iowa. We never even locked our house. It was so safe, great family. But there's always a but, isn't there? But... I grew up in this really legalistic church environment. And my whole childhood was a private battle between me and God trying to earn my way into heaven. And literally dozens and dozens of times a day, begging God to forgive me for things like not picking up a piece of trash. You know, as a seven-year-old, it was just this voice in my head of condemning me Oh, you didn't pick up that piece of trash. That was a sin. God, forgive me. You need to have your eyes closed when you pray or God doesn't hear you. And that was my life for years and years. Every day was a battle for my salvation. Total distorted image of God. But it was a private battle because part of what the voice would say was don't tell anybody about this because they won't understand. And that's the voice of shame. Nobody struggles the way you do. Somebody always struggles the way that we do. When I began sharing that, I said, you know, I remember laying in my bed at night and hearing my mom come to the end of the hall to go to the bathroom. And I would lay in there in the dark and I was so terrified all the time of God, terrified of going to hell. And I would think, I want to talk to my mom about this. But then that voice would say, you're going to think you're crazy. Don't don't talk about it. And so the therapist said, I want to recreate that scene. I know this sounds kind of weird. You sit in the chair like you're small. And she said, what were you feeling? So I was sad. Who do you want to be sad? Pick someone in the group. So I want this guy to be sad. What else did you feel? I was so afraid. Who do you want to be fear? I picked the biggest guy. I want him to be fear. What else did you feel? Lonely. What else did you feel? And for the first time, I named it. I felt shame. Who do you want to be shame? This guy. So she had all the people in the group turn their back to me. She turned the lights down like I'm laying in my bed. She said, I want you to face each one of those emotions. So I had to get up and tap sadness. He looked at me, what do you want to say to sadness? What do you want to say to fear? What do you want to say to loneliness? You know, and I'm like, back to being my little seven-year-old self. And I'll never forget this. I tapped this guy, and he represented shame. And he turned around, and he had tears running down his face, not coming out of his nose, into his mouth. And he was like this. Something was resonating with him. And I looked at him and I just broke. Because for the first time in my life, I realized that what was behind all of that was shame. It looked so different than her shame, but it was shame for me. And so the way that it would manifest for me is I've got to perform, I've got to achieve, I've got to be perfect. And because ministry had just imploded for me, see, God will always take you to a place where he'll shut everything down. So you have to deal with it. Just like basketball, he kicked off the team. He shuts it down because he wants you to deal with it. For the first time, I addressed shame. 
she made me talk to shame. Well, what do you want to say to shame? I say, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. You're just a kid. God loves you. You know, start telling the truth to my little self. And it was amazing because during this time of healing, I had this dream that Jeff and I were laying in bed, which we were naturally too, and we're sleeping. And in my dream, my little self came next to my bed and was afraid. And in my dream, I said, come here. Come lay in the middle of us to be safe. And isn't that a beautiful thing that that God does? He's trying to heal that little kid inside of us that's ashamed and feels unworthy and unloved. And I believe that God wants to do that for each one of us today. He wants to push us closer to freedom. So here's how I want to do this reset moment. I'm going to lead you through some questions. These are some hard ones, but God only brings it to the surface if he's ready to deal with it. I'm going to ask the questions, and I just want you to process these in the presence of God. What was your first exposure to shame? This is usually when life deviated from the norm. So you realize that you're different or your family was different or your body was different. Kind of set the trajectory for how your shame story would play out. to ask what part of you shut down dancing your singing your playfulness being carefree the story of your body's response to shame? What were the tapes that began to play in your head? Invite God into your story. The one who bore all your guilt and all your shame. Tell him how you felt. Ask him if it broke his heart. Ask him what's true. Begin agreeing with it. Begin confessing that truth of your life. Just whisper it under your breath.
Thank you for taking the time to listen. I know a topic like this can stir up a lot of emotions. So if you find yourself in that place, I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody that you can trust. We're not meant to handle these things by ourselves. And if you need help, we're here for you. Please feel free to reach out to us at resetministries.us. That's resetministries.us.